Hey there, podcast listener. Welcome to Eat Half, Walk Double. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. This show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports as a coach, race director, and athlete, told to the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Emily Flagg is my guest today. She recently returned from an epic expedition to the United Republic of Tanzania, where she stood atop the 19,341-foot peak of Mount Kilimanjaro for the second time in her life. Her reasons for returning to the African continent are incredibly enlightening and an excellent reminder to all of us about what's important. She also shares some funny and fascinating stories from the eight-day trip along the Lemo Show route to Uhuru Peak. I've had the great fortune to coach and call her a friend since 2017. So, here she is, Emily Flagg. Emily, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Hey. I'm already going to start out laughing. <laughs> long, uh, long time no chat, you yeah. and I. Yeah, long time of chatting. Maybe. Yeah, but we'll, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, listen, this this past March, uh, you did something uh, pretty cool. And, um, you and I have had the opportunity to talk about it privately, but, um, I asked you to, to, to come on the show to, to share the story because, um, well, first it's a pretty epic story. And, um, secondly, I think there's a lot of really interesting and important messages that were embedded in the experience. And, um, and I'm looking for you to, uh, to share those with the listener tonight. So, but to set, to set it up, uh, let's, 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 let's start with this. Let's, let's kind of go right to the pinnacle, so to speak. Um, in the, so in the early hours of Monday, March 14th of this past year, uh, you stood, a, you stood atop, uh, Uhuru peak on Mount Kilimanjaro, uh, at 19,341 feet. The, the highest point in Africa and one of the seven summits. Um, uh, as you were, uh, as you and your, your group were sort of hurriedly uh, snapping uh, summit photos uh, in these, uh, these gale force winds, um, something, something interesting and, and unique. And I thought it was funny uh, happened to you on the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro as you were, precariously teetered uh atop a uh a, a extinct volcano crater yeah um so it's one of those where you kind of reflect back on it and think maybe it wasn't the wisest move but um i'm here to tell the story so <laughs> i guess that's the most important exactly. part exactly. um yes these gale force winds and of course you have many layers on including liner gloves over your under your regular gloves and so i'm taking stuff off and of course you need you know your hands to take these photos and we're rushing around and and my little liner my glove like flies away so of course i dive after it and <laughs> And it just has, so happens that we literally are at the summit, at the rock pile, and um, I, I dive and I, I happen to notice that it's very close to the edge of the crater of this extinct <laughs> volcano. Um, 
I rescued said glove and stood up like it was no big deal. And um, uh, I was proceed, uh, somebody proceeded to tell me that um, one of the the guides, um, Hamedi, had basically like started reaching after me to kind of like grab my pack and rescue me should it be needed. But, you know, I just I thought it was, I was like, oh no, I, I got my glove. It's no big deal. Fall off the edge of the crater at nineteen thousand feet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you 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 managed to you know not get uh, trampled by a water buffalo or eaten by a crocodile in seven days, and 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 there you were, right, uh, almost very innocently tumbling into yeah, right, a crater because you were yeah. you were chasing after a yeah. well, I know ten dollar glove liner because it's cold and you you need your gloves. That's what I was focusing on clearly. Um, in our scramble of our short seven minutes on the summit. Yes. So we'll, we're going to, I'm going to have, I'm going to kind of walk you back and we're going to, we're going to talk about the, uh, the expedition, right? The, the, mm -hmm. the seven days that led up to that summit moment that there, there were, there were other, obviously, um, uh, slightly more glamorous, uh, moments, um, which, which we'll talk about, but, um, that was not the first time you had been on the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. Nope. That was my second time successfully summiting. Actually. Yeah. Uh, so well, a couple of questions. What, when were you there before? And then why did you decide to go back? So I went in 2008, um, similar trip in that it was um, a trip up to Kilimanjaro and uh, we did some safari and that is an interesting question people ask of me of, okay, you know, you did it, you went, you did Kilimanjaro, like, why do you, why would you go back? Um, and I, when I went to Africa, that was my first time ever in Africa, and it was such an incredible uh, cultural experience so it was clearly just more, I came away with more than just, hey, I did a, I did one of the seven summits. Like that's not what I came away with in 2008. It was this amazing experience of experiencing another country and a completely different culture and a third world country. And um, those lessons I came away with of the culture and such joy and happiness um, not only in the people that I engaged with, but, um, you know, for myself and also the kindness, um, of the people that I told myself, I told myself, um, leaving, um, uh, that I wanted to come back and, you and did. opportunity presented itself. Yeah. And, and, and 14 and, years later. Right. Um, well, and that, and that, that journey to get back to, um, uh, to, to Kilimanjaro, I think is an interesting one as well. Um, you know, be, be, between the time that, uh, that you were there in 2008, uh, and, and when you were there this past March, um, you and I started working together. Um, in fact, I, my recollection is that, um, we've been working together since July of 2017, um, would you mind sharing with the listener, uh, wh why you decided to hire a coach in, uh, in 2017? Sure. So it actually, um, 
goes back many years uh, before 2017. Um, you know, up until then, I had always trained, uh, you know, just on my own. Um, I thought, you know, pretty successfully um, until I uh, I used, you know, the book method as they have for marathons or your first 100K or, you know, for your first 100 miler, all these different books. Um, and so I got one and I followed that for training for the Leadville 100 mountain bike race. And, you know, and what the books don't do is um, factor in you as an individual, um, you know, gender, age, What's your, you know, what are your mental and physical daily life um, stresses, right? Every everything that a personal coach um, and beyond can can offer. Um, and sure enough, I followed that, and I ended up um, getting overtrained to the point where I was concerned that it would um, impact my race day, and fortunately, it didn't. Um, so then fast forward many, many years to, um, 2017, where I was training for the, um, my first 50 K, um, trail, the Vermont 50 K trail race. And I felt like I was getting myself into a similar situation. You know, this is a, again, this is a big ultra for me. Um, and I kind of just thought I'd want to see what it was like to actually have a, a personal coach. So I started asking around and um, just happened to be chatting with Mort and he mentioned your name and uh, here we are five years later. Uh, <laughs> so I guess, I guess the 50K went all right <laughs> because you basically rescued me. I mean, the race was September, right? So like then we had like six weeks to turn things around. We started August 1st of that year. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I was pretty impressed with the quick work you <laughs> pulled off. <laughs> well, um, I'm glad you mentioned Mort, uh, Mort's name, Mort Nace. Uh, Mort's gonna, is, is going to be a guest, uh, on the show, uh, soon. Um, what well, he has, he has zero adventures. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what how you're going to come up with Mort. Yeah, Mort. Mort is <laughs> is one of one of the more interesting people that I've met along the way. But I I I I I, I pause on his name for just a moment because, um, in in my own coaching business, um, Mort throughout the years has probably been responsible for at least a third of the athletes that I've worked with at one at one point or another. Um, yourself included. Um, and so, um, I'm very thankful for, for Thanks, more. He's, yeah, he's, he's been a, <laughs> he's been a really big part of, of the success of my business, particularly the success of my business in Western New York. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so, so thanks and kudos, uh, to more. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, Emily, when you, when you talk about, um, you know, some of the benefits of, of hiring a coach, I think, I think for a lot of endurance athletes, um, you know, there many endurance athletes are hesitant to hire a coach because, well, for a couple of reasons. First, because they don't feel like they are like they are successful or accomplished enough, right? Because only, right? I mean, only elite athletes hire a coach, and I'm, you know, I'm a mid to back of the pack athlete. What you know, I, I don't, 
I don't deserve to have a coach. And then, and then, and I'll, I'll have you address that. And, and then, and I think the, I think the other misconception is that, um, coaches tend, coaches tend to be there to push, to push, to push, to push. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when in, when in truth, what, what you described and, 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 and a big part of our, uh, working relationship, um, has been, um, knowing when to back off and knowing when to take time down. Um, and so it's, so, so that's, a, that's, a, I think it's another unexpected, well, that's one of the unexpected benefits of, of, ha- of having a coach. Uh, so how, how did you like, how did you wrestle with that idea of, uh, you, you're not an elite athlete. I mean, you're, you're, you're an ex- exceptional athlete, you're not an elite athlete. You're not a professional athlete. Right. Uh, so how athlete. so how did you how did you justify in your in your head that you were worthy of having a coach? Um, I didn't have to justify it because um, I want to be as successful as possible, and the, the events, the adventures, the events, the goals I have um, to the best of my ability. So um, it does, doesn't it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going for money or for first place or podium or whatever all the time, especially, especially as, you know, we age and, and do other, um, especially in ultra world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it, it doesn't matter. And I, um, I think it's something that I'm glad that I, uh, you know, approached that, and you know tried to see how how does it work for me um i think the other point too is as you and i are both aware there's a lot of coaches out there right there's i mean it's it's kind of i i don't know if i mentioned this to you before but i kind of relate it to like the spin-off of um the digital age for cameras right it's like oh there were not this many photographers <laughs> you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, when you actually had to like, not know what you were, you can look at every photo you took, you know? And um, I mean, I think it's also reflective of, um, to your point about, it doesn't have to just be an an elite athlete, right? I think more people are, are, you know, us, like we general athletes are wanting to uh, do the best we can, right? So there, there's, there's more of that and and how do we do that and so we need help so i think it's also speaks to that of the general population wanting that help but it, you know you also mentioned about it it's it's definitely a collaboration right you aren't you aren't getting and i think that's also important in finding somebody that um meshes well for you as an individual True. right because very true. I mean, it's it's what your goals and desires are, but also, I mean, just like at work, right? Like you, if you know, at work, you're kind of like you might not, you probably don't have a choice necessarily because there's all different personalities. You have to learn to work with them. You don't have to necessarily learn to work with the personality of the coach. You go find another one. True. But like if you, but if you find one that can mesh well, I mean, I think it. You can really, as you and I have experienced, like you can both learn a lot um and and really evolve and uh, i mean that's been my experience certainly with you um and 
and why I, I continue, like, I, I really like having that guidance in the structure. Um, and I just find, continue to find it beneficial. Mm. For me. Well, and we, you and I have also talked, um, before, uh, too, about how the coach athlete relationship evolves over time. Mm-hmm, right? right. I mean, I, you know, and, and, um, I think that's important for people to understand as well, um, is that, um, you know, that there is a tremendous benefit to history, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, the, the longer you and I work together, um, the, the better we understand each other and the better we communicate with each other. And ultimately, the more effectively we communicate, the more successful you are, because the more effective I am. So mm-hmm. um, but that but that relationship, like all relationships, sometimes takes time and it, it, mm-hmm. it, 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 it there is an evolution to it. Um, and I, I think coaches need to be open to that, to, to change and, and to evolve. And I think athletes need to understand that there, you know, there oftentimes is an evolution uh, in, in the relationship. Sometimes the first couple of months can be, could be the most difficult as the, as the, the athlete and the coach are getting to know each other and figure each other out. I mean, they both want the same thing. They both want the athlete to be as successful as they possibly can be. That's what both parties want, but it's about how do you get there, you know, and, and can you get through kind of the bumpy, the bumpy parts early on? Cause eventually, you know, if there's, I think if there's, if there's, if there's effective enough communication, I think the two parties can come together and, and understand well, each other. Well, yeah. And I was just going to say that point about the communication, right? I mean, it's like, I definitely had times where I didn't understand what you were saying, or I thought maybe I was either misinterpreting your expectations, or I thought you had expectations of me that you know, I would ask and that wasn't, I was misinterpreting it perhaps. And so I think, you know, I think then that makes, um, that could then lead to individuals perhaps thinking like, oh, this isn't the right coach for me because they're not having that. They're not questioning. They're not having that like two-way communication of, of trying to like have that understanding. And if you're just continuing to interpret these expect, what you think are expectations, um, and, you know, then you could just walk away with thinking that just wasn't the right fit, perhaps. Mm, yeah, that, I totally, totally agree with that. In fact, I, that, that's happened to me professionally um, on, an, on a number of occasions. And that's, you know, sometimes that's those are those are hard lessons to learn. Um, well, the, the, the segue between our work together and um, you standing atop uh, Mount Kilimanjaro this past March, the segue is... Um, you know, for a, for an eight day epic expedition to one of the, you know, seven highest places on the planet, or one of the, I mean, it is, it is arguably one of the, uh, one, one of the grandest peaks uh, on the planet. Um, you must've had an incredibly rigorous plan, training plan to, to prepare you for Mount Kilimanjaro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can, can you, must can you, very... can you share, can you share with the listener what what very you did what what you did to train to to hike Mount Kilimanjaro? I didn't. I did not train. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> no, that's that could be that no, could be misinterpreted. I can't be right. I thought I, I I thought I just heard you say you you didn't train for Mount Kilimanjaro. I didn't. 
what what does that mean? Oh, well. And how did you get away with that? <laughs> I mean, I wrote the plan, so I <laughs> I know how you got away with it. Um, quite, quite. Well, I mean, can we talk about the last five years? <laughs> so, I mean, well, that's that's, true, that's right? trained for it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, let's talk about our favorite, one of our favorite words, consistency. <laughs> um multi-sport athlete um <laughs> doesn't like to stop moving um yeah i mean it was it was uh, well one obviously i had the benefit of having done this before so i knew the level of fitness and you know training for me that um would you know likely be needed um which for me <laughs> i knew was just do what I've always been doing. And, um, you know, I came off of a, a big year of a lot of hiking time on feet. Um, this, you're, you're talking about last year, 20, 2021 last, last year. Mm. Yeah. Finger Lake trail. Um, so yeah, I knew it was general fitness that can, that can, you know, and, and you, you unless you've been at elevation, nobody knows, you can train for months to climb how many thousands of feet to to the summit. But if you haven't been at elevation and, and don't know maybe how that's going to impact you, um, that, that, you know, that, that could, could be a big factor. Hmm. Um, yeah. So talk, talk, talk a little bit more specifically if, if you don't mind about, um, so the, so the expedition was in March, mm -hmm. um, you know, January, February, like what, after the first of the year, like what, what did a typical week of activity look like for you? And to your point, you were in a general, what, what, what we call a general activity phase. You weren't in a training camp. You weren't specifically preparing for an event at that time. Mm -hmm. You were in a general activity phase. Um, but for the listener, what, like what were you doing yeah what were you doing well, general activity Monday? phase is automatically going to three days a week of strength okay so and you were getting, we know, you were getting we know, to the you were getting to the gym three days a week yeah yeah or my basement <laughs> either way well you were you were doing yeah. you were doing your strength work three three yeah, days which which oh uh, let me tell you now from experience of a couple of years is being very consistent with that and and, you know, going into not maybe coming off of, I should say, like a general activity phase and then like getting into running more, um, it's definitely translatable. So strength, I think, is a very key um, activity to maintain, mm -hmm. can get you, can get you lots of places. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then I'm, I'm big on cross training, especially in general activity. So what does that look like? I mean, what does that look like in the wintertime? Yeah. Cross country skiing, which was a fabulous winter for that. So this is the most I've gotten out for cross country skiing, which is extremely total body, uh, you know, workout. And um, so I was able to do a lot of that. And you know, you're, I mean, most of us, I was using trekking poles. So you're not just, um, you know, the skiing was good to get some upper body um, work and effort. Um, so cross country skiing, 
I could get on the bike, I did not bike indoors at all this winter. So must have been some outdoor biking. I don't know. What else did I do? Mm. <laughs> check check training bikes. <laughs> yeah. But, but no, I think in general, um, some running. Um, but yeah, I did a lot of skiing. The point is, Ooh, though, you, you, you emphasized you emphasize strength training. Mm-hmm. And you stayed, you stayed routinely physically active. Yes. Like you were active most days. Correct. Right. Um, you, you, there was no, there was no obligation for you to be active seven days a week. Right. You, I mean, the, your strength work was, was obligatory, but then everything else was discretionary. Mm-hmm. You, you could have just done three days a week of strength and not done anything the other four days, but you, you took advantage of that discretionary time and you remained highly physically active. Mm-hmm. That high degree of consistency resulted in a result results for you in a sustained level of general fitness year round. Right. Um, that certainly in this case allowed you to, <laughs> to take on an eight day expedition without specifically preparing for it. And as we'll talk about here in just a moment, um, you really felt, you really felt solid the entire time. Um, <laughs> Which, which, which I really think for, for destination events uh, or for destination challenges, it's really important to, to, to feel as, as physically well and fit as you possibly can. Um, because I think you, I think you enjoy the experience much more when you're feeling good. Right. You know, when, yeah. you're, when you're suffering, you go into your own space and you don't, you don't see things around you as much. You don't communicate with the people around you as much. And I, I think you miss out on a big part of the experience. So, so it is really important to feel good uh, and to feel strong when you're, when you're out doing these expeditions. Um, so um, this year uh, or, or this time around, you took a, you take a different route to the summit. There are, there are multiple routes on, mm-hmm. on Kilimanjaro. Um, uh, this past March, uh, you, your, your guiding company, uh, your guides took you on the Lamoshu uh, route. Uh, it's about 42 miles over eight days. Yeah. It's good to know. I, yeah. that's another question <laughs> people ask. Like my, I, I, I mean, I have no idea because you know what? My watch didn't work. Um, the, the summit night, I didn't get, I didn't yeah. look at my, yeah, very, that, yeah, I that, add up the mileage if I wanted to, cause I yeah. missed a big night. <laughs> yeah. That, that distance was, that distance is from the internet. Um, uh, because when I, when I tallied up your, your, your GPS distance, it, it was, it was less than that. It wasn't 42 miles. So, yeah. and then I remember, I remember reading in one of your training peaks entries that, um, you were having, your watch was having some, some funky issues early on. Um, okay. Uh, Day one of the expedition, um, uh, 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 Londorosi uh, Park Gate to uh, Mount Makubwa. Mm-hmm. Um, that first day was uh, was about a three point two mile trek, and uh, you 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 guys did it in uh, just about two and three quarter hours, just shy of just shy of three hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, starting elevation was around 6,900 feet and you finished at 9,000 feet. Um, what did you remember about that, that first day, by the way, um, I think what's interesting about this expedition for me as a, uh, as a, as a scientist 
is mm -hmm. that um, you actually traveled through multiple ecosystems throughout mm -hmm. the throughout the expedition. All the first, five climate zones. Yeah, first day was rainforest. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So what? So tell me about tell me about that first day and about about uh, you know kind of getting to know your hiking party a little bit better and mm -hmm. you know, what what was your experience like day one? Well, uh, you know, just to preface this with getting to know our, our group. So we, we did have, uh, you know, a couple days prior to starting of, of arrival and getting to meet the others in the group. And um, but, yeah, certainly um, being on a, a trail <laughs> for eight days altogether is um, at the same time, you really get to have engage with um, the others in your group. And also I should note that we had, um, in addition to the nine clients and the one um, company guide, um, we had five African guides and 32 porters to carry all of our stuff. Um, and um, so it wasn't just the nine other people that myself and, you know, that we engaged with. It was um, the guides move around. So, and, and actually in everybody, in, well, the porters, they take off. So <laughs> the, the porters, you have an opportunity to engage with really like once you're at camp um, and then kind of that morning when you're packing up, otherwise they're, they got, they got to take off because they have to get your stuff set up at the next camp. But what was really enjoyable from the beginning is that you're trekking with this group and everybody continuously mixes up. So you have all these different conversations going on in the lineup of, um, you know, with another one, somebody else in the group or with a guide or, um, and then, you know, you take a break and then, then you kind of mix up again. So it was um, this beautiful hike through Yes, through the the rainforest, um, the plant life. We we had um, Hamedi, our one of our guides, um, was extremely well educated in <laughs> botanics and and the plant life, and um, actually um, matched up really well with one of our now friends, Cat from the group. She, um, oh my gosh, she just was so into asking like she wanted to know well she was very familiar also but the things that she didn't know she said, what's this what's this and it was just really fun to watch their excitement um and you know also learn but to watch their excitement and their engagement that pretty much like the first day and then the last day when we were in these climate zones where there was so much plant life um and we had literally a five minute brief rain or by the time we got all of our rain gear on, it stopped. We were so fortunate with the weather. It was um, amazing. I put my rain jacket on once on the first day and I think once on the second to last day. So you, you guys get into camp um, that, that first night and, and the, the porters have, have everything set up. Um, the luxury. <laughs> yeah. What, um, uh, just just basic nuts and bolts question, but, um, what, what did they feed you that, that first oh my night? Gosh. What did well, what did it, okay. So much food. I mean, there was this great routine of, um, you know, I guess we'll start with arrival at camp. You get set up, you have tea and popcorn. 
hot chocolate tea and popcorn like popcorn tastes amazing when you're <laughs> at elevation i don't know um but there's this big mess tent and um so yeah so you kind of get settled you snack and then dinner was i think around 6 30 each night so we really had this routine of of, of our meals and snacks and whatnot um, which was nice to have kind of get into this routine and we left every morning about the same time it was um we would have um our they would come to our tents at um 7 a.m with hot tea or coffee um 7 30 was breakfast actually i might be having that wrong anyway 7 30 was your wake up eight was breakfast and about 8 30 every day we would head out um on our on our hike um and dinner was um they they catered to vegetarian um, we had pastas we had a lot of um like vegetable stew um uh i don't know just fruit dessert was this amazing fresh fruit every night um but we did not go hungry there was so much food what were, were these local dishes um so that's interesting. That's a great question. And I found out that, um, so we were encouraged to, and I went into the, the kit, the kitchen <laughs> where, um, we had essentially a, a primary cook and like a sous chef, I guess you could say. Um, and he had to cook for, um, how many people? 42, 47 people. Right. So, so he would cook, our Americans, you know, meal, which was kind of a mix of localish food, but also, you know, catering to the American diet, right? So, um, you know, rice, it would be like rice. I mean, it was like African, from, but then he would then cook the really true um, local food for the, the porter. So he was making a whole nother meal. Mm. Yeah. Those guys. yeah. Pretty, pretty cool. Um, so that's day one and, um, you know, you're, you finish at 9,000 at 9,000 feet mm -hmm. day two, you get up and, uh, you, you, you head up to Shira camp one, mm -hmm. uh, along the, the Shira plateau mm -hmm. wasn't a tremendous amount of elevation gain on day two. You started at 9,000 feet. You ended it at 11, five, I think, mm -hmm. um, that, that day, day two was, um, just under five miles and it took you right around five hours. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, what, what do you remember about, about, about day two, about, about day two of the trip? So, um, day two, while you're kind of getting into the, um, you know, starting to get, I should say out of the rainforest, um, still kind of in the forest, um, uh, climate zone but definitely things are starting to open up um and as you mentioned this the, the plateau right so you still have vegetation but um you're not having like that forest look um so we trekked for about five hours and um what we did on day two and then subsequently also on day three is um so because we you know, had the whole afternoon and evening and they don't want you to just sleep all the time. 
um, and keep moving, but also to help with acclimatization, we did afternoon walkabouts, which was really fun. So um, you got to rest for a little bit, but then we got out and about, walked around, um, and we got to see the the Shira Plateau, which, by the way, is about 800,000 years old. Um, and just when you, you stand and they're telling you about this and you just look out over literally this, this vastness of this plateau and to try to even begin to conceptualize that, that age um, is is really amazing. But um, so, yeah, so that was our little walkabout. Um, on that day. Mm. Okay. So, um, you, you could, you could see the mountain at this point, right? Once you, once you popped out of the, out of the rainforest, you could see Kilimanjaro at, at, at that point on day um, or, or not yet. Do you remember? I don't recall on that. I definitely day three, we saw, I mean, where we camped, it was, I definitely remember day three seeing it. That yeah. was, um, that was a very special spot actually yeah. that we got to on. Yeah. So, Day All right, three. so let's yeah, so let's let's go let's let's go to let's go to day three. That's Shira Camp One to uh, Mora Hut, mm -hmm. um, starting at again starting at at, at eleven five uh, uh, for elevation and finishing at um, just just shy of fourteen thousand feet. Um, that was a six mile that was a six mile day. That was a little bit longer day from a mm -hmm. distance standpoint. Not not nearly the longest day in terms of time on feet. Um, so that that six miles that you covered in um, just under five hours again, so two five hour days. Um, plus there was an afternoon, an, an, another afternoon walkabout mm -hmm. on day three. Um, so, so at that point though, you're starting to see, you're starting to see Kilimanjaro. You're starting to see the mountain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so we, on, on day three, um, that was, that was, um, like I said, that was a very special spot because, I mean, we had the camp, we had the camp all to ourselves. Um, and I think there's another camp that most, you know, if you do that route, there's a Shira two camp. Um, so we went to this we went to this camp and certainly, you know, we had it all to ourselves. So that was very unique and very special. Um, and we went on our walkabout and um, unexpectedly when we arrived back at camp, um, you know, which would be to snack time. <laughs> like, um, we were greeted with a very special um, dancing and singing experience by all the porters and guides and um there were uh it was a, it was a very moving and emotional experience um it was an opportunity for everyone to introduce themselves so again one of the um things that i liked about that i like about so i should note that yusuf who who is the owner of the, the company in Africa that we that we utilize? I he, he was a guide when I hiked in 2008, so I've known him since 2008. Um, and so he has a lot of important values that he emphasizes through you know for in his company and also the people that he hires. 
Um, and and I guess on this on that same token is is also um, you know the 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 kind of desire for for the company here, Pack Pedal Ski, um, to integrate right to have this integration of the the clients with um, the African group, and so one of the one of the you know our big theme was one team one dream so we chanted that a lot um it got us to the top and but it's also um speaks to the point that like we're not getting there if they're not all carrying our stuff right and then we're also being supportive of them and appreciative of them for carrying our stuff so the point being that it's not you're not just a porter that is your role. You are a porter. You are being asked to help us achieve this goal. Um, and so, you know, nobody, everybody's on the same level. Um, and so by being, be, by having this opportunity for them to kind of share a bit of their culture, right, through the singing and dancing, but also us introducing everybody is that we are all contributing and we want to know who you are. Um, it's not just me getting going on this journey and getting to the top. Hmm. Um, so it, yeah, yeah. I, I was, I was going to say, don't you, don't you feel like it sort of makes the experience a little richer um, in 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 that in that sense uh, to have a deeper appreciation of um, of where everyone is coming from, right? And that yeah. and that every man and woman in in that party was was they were equals they they had different roles and different responsibilities but um but everyone's everyone was working toward the same thing correct which was right. which was to get the clients to the summit safely correct and together mm -hmm. right. yep healthy healthy and safely that was that was really the focus mm -hmm. um day four Day four uh, ends up being uh, kind of an interesting uh, two-part day. Mm -hmm. uh, the first two-part day uh, of the expedition, with, with the exception of the afternoon walkabouts, but um, but but a planned two-part uh, two-parter. Um, starting at at Mora Hut, um, you guys uh, hiked up to Lava Tower, um, uh, which is just above fifteen thousand feet. Now you're moving from from the, from the Heath area up to the Alpine desert, all of a sudden, you know, the topography changes, the geology changes. Uh, it's a much different, I'm, I suspect a much different landscape uh, there uh, when you, when you get up to 15,000 feet. What, what is it? What is this? What is this lava tower? Why, why was that a special place? Um, wh why was that a destination, a destination for, for lunch? And what, what was your impression of this, of this lava tower? Well, day four is one of my favorite days. One of my, this is probably one of my most favorite, one of my most favorite sections on the trek. Um, there was for me the anticipation of um, when am I going to start, when are things going to start to become familiar? <laughs> and I thought that was, so this is, um, is about basically halfway into day four um, that I had a, a fresh new experience, right? So that was nice to do the new route was I did have the first few days of new landscape, new route. Um, 
and to to get to that junction where the the route I had previously done right. meets up, and then I could start to see I'm like, oh, I was getting really excited for the lava tower, um, and yeah, it's literally this fifteen thousand feet, this tower <laughs> of, of lava rock. Mm. So it's it's kind of a a destination, um, you know, kind of a, a popular. Um, landmark so to say uh, on this trek um and it's also again to to help acclimatize so you spend a little time meaning lunch at fifteen thousand feet so that you can then go and um sleep lower so it helps to acclimatize um and coming into barranco hut is i just th there's so much i, I was probably shed a couple tears coming into that because one of my favorite giant groundsels, those big funky prehistoric looking plants that um, you, you may see images of is like, I just find them so fascinating and I couldn't wait to start to see them. And so you start to see those. Um, the uh, And it's my favorite. It's my favorite camp is the Bronco hut because you've got the wall. <laughs> which we then proceed to do the next day. Um, and just having that backdrop drop of this massive wall, literally this wall, and the views of Kilimanjaro are stellar. And it just the campsite itself, there's so much going on there. Again, it's just, it's, um, it's kind of locked in my, mind the image of that it's a very special place for me mm. yeah i think you're I, I think you made a you make a good point that um that up to this point in the expedition um it it had it was a new route for you and uh those were those were sites that you hadn't seen before so uh day four though um you know you 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 eventually trek past where the where the route in 2008 comes in uh, and now things are starting to look familiar you're probably starting to get a, a strong sense of deja vu um and uh i i, I totally i totally get how, how how that would would be emotional but the the interesting stats on uh, on on day four so the the hike up to the lava tower was uh about two miles took you guys about four hours mm -hmm. um it, as we said, you had lunch uh, at a little over 15,000 feet, uh, and then you hiked from the lava tower to the uh, Barranco camp. So down another 2.1 miles took you took you like two and a half hours uh, to go from 15,000 feet uh, and then uh, where you where you camped, which was uh, right around 13,000 feet mm -hmm. um, at the end of at the end of day four. Day five, actually, in your in your in your post-expedition summary, you did mention to me that uh, day four was your favorite segment of the, of the, of the expedition. Um, this was the uh, Barranco camp to the uh, uh, Karanga hut uh, mm -hmm. via the Barranco wall. Was, <laughs> yeah. yeah. About two and a half, two and a half mile day, uh, five hour day though. Um heading up to to 15,000 feet uh and then back down to to 131 uh yeah why 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 was why was this why is this why was that your your favorite segment of the 
of the expedition. Because we get to climb the wall. <laughs> so what you approach, what you see coming into Bronco Hut camp, um, I'm not sure necessarily people realize that when they're coming in is that you're going to climb that the next day. <laughs> and I was so excited <laughs> um, because it's, I mean, this trek eight days is, it's not technical. You are on very traveled and well-maintained, you know, like, yes, there's some rocky parts, but for the most part, non-technical trail, except for this portion of the wall, which is, I love it because it's it's kind of like some of the Adirondack climbing where you have to actually like hand over, you know, like use your hands and kind of scramble a little bit. And um, there's there's the there's one little section that's a little hairy um, <laughs> that you have to pass the kissing rock because that's how close it is. So um, I just I just like it because it had that little extra challenge um and then this year <laughs> i was surprised to have snacks at fifteen thousand feet of which <laughs> we we did not get that in fact um jama our guide from pack paddle ski here um she didn't realize that Last time we did not get to have popcorn looking at Kilimanjaro at 15,000 feet. And I, again, I, there were a lot of tears shed <laughs> on this trip. And I was like, I don't know, you just climb this, you accomplish this wall, right? It was a big accomplishment. It was like such a fun part and the views are spectacular and you like crest after finishing this wall, you like crest the rock and there's this picnic table set up with the, your popcorn and your, you know, cups waiting. And I, I mean, I just was in, oh, and then Kilimanjaro, it just towering over in the background. And I like was so shocked and surprised as was everybody else, of course. And Shema thought I was pretending <laughs> acting. She's like, wow, you're a really good actor um until we were sitting down eating and she found out that i was not acting it so it was so that was another funny story because she, she really thought i was really you know like putting on a good show i'm like no that was a real show <laughs> did anyone else in the hiking party have a similar emotional reaction and oh experience? we were all i mean we were all like <laughs> what like we you know, we thought we were just going to keep going on, you know, down the trail. And uh, no, we we did not. Nobody knew we were going to have snack time. <laughs> this uh, spectacular. Yeah. I mean, people were doing yoga. Like it was just. <laughs> that, that's really yeah, cool. Popcorn, so popcorn and tea above the clouds is not something that you really encounter much in life. No, I can, I can completely appreciate <laughs> And her that. not talking about an airplane. That doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good, good, good point. Um, so clearly you didn't go, you didn't go back down the wall. You hiked off the other, the other side, right. Continuing down, mm -hmm. uh, uh, to the, to the, uh, Karanga, uh, hut mm -hmm. where, uh, where, where you, where you slept. Um, 
in preparation for uh, in preparation for summit day. So this is day six. Um, day six is another another two parter. So um, first part of the day, day six, uh, the Karanga Hut to the Barafu Hut. This was just about a mile and a half, a little over a little over a mile and a half, about about yeah. a three hour about a three hour trek. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Starting at thirteen thousand feet and uh, and 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 uh, finishing at fifteen one. Um, so you, you, you finished, you finished that, that initial part of that kind of final push to the ascent, uh, to the summit, you finished that, that initial part around noon. I think if, if my, if my math is right. Right. Mm -hmm, getting um, to base camp. Yeah. 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 Right. I mean, we, leave, yeah, it was leave camp yeah, we, it was it was about noon. Uh, mm -hmm. it was about noon on day six and you're mm -hmm. at the, you're at the Barafu hut. Um, Right. So they feed you lunch mm -hmm. and um, you're going to be you're going to be making a summit push um, like in the overnight hours. Mm -hmm. So wh what do you do from what do you do from noon until, <laughs> you know, you go to bed, what? What? you go to yes. bed and then they wake you up um, and they. We'll talk about that in a moment, but uh, I, I just I, I'm curious. There, there has to be a tremendous amount of anticipation and excitement, and you know you probably should rest because it's going to be it's going to be a big a big day. I mean, on on any number of levels, it's going to be a big day. You're going up above nineteen thousand feet. It's going to be a long day because you're gonna you're gonna summit and then you're gonna come back down uh, to a lower camp. Um, there had to be a lot of buzz and excitement in, in camp. How did you, how did you, how did you manage to, to, to keep, keep all that stuff under control? You'd be surprised at how quickly time goes by. Um, when you think there's nothing else to do. Um, right. I mean, it's like, because you see, you have all your little, your, your routines, right? Your daily routines. Now, granted, this day six, part 1A of, of day six was, um, you know, a, a different routine. But like you said, we, you lunch and then you're prepping. I mean, you're, you're going through, you know, gear check. Like you, they actually, they came around and we did, we did a full gear check in the hotel before even starting this whole track. But you, you have a, a summit night gear check. So, so that happened. You're encouraged to nap, um, in anticipation of, uh, so dinner was, I believe an hour earlier that night in, in anticipation of having to get to bed to get a few hours of sleep, um, before 10 PM wake up. Right. For, for an 11, 11 PM, uh, push to the summit. You know, we, 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 we didn't, we hadn't talked about it, but, um, I, I think it's, it's worth mentioning, um, you know, for, for, for the majority of this expedition, uh, you were above, you were above 10,000 feet. I mean, since, uh, really since, since day two, mm -hmm. um, um, you know, since, since the end of day two, um, you didn't go, you know, you weren't below 11,500 feet. Um, you, you, you know, I, I mentioned, uh, you live in Western New York. You mentioned the Adirondacks, which, uh, which is where you, 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 you do some, uh, you have spent a lot of time, um, uh, you know, hiking, but 
you know, th those are, those are not 10,000 foot peaks <laughs> that you get to train on. So, um, you know, you were, you were slowly acclimatizing mm -hmm. right throughout the expedition. That was part of the afternoon walkabouts. And mm -hmm. that's why it's an eight day expedition, right. Versus a six day expedition. Cause they really want to slow down. They really want to slow the group down. And, um, I mean, for the majority of folks that go to Kilimanjaro, I would think the probably the majority of them are not acclimatized to elevation. That's, that's a luxury, right? Um, so you have to spend time to acclimatize. Um, but you know, there, a, there's a significant majority, um, uh, or a significant number of, um, of mountaineers that develop, um, uh, you know, high altitude mountain sickness. Um, um, you know, high altitude pulmonary edema and, uh, it's, it, it, I mean, even, even, even in the, even the fittest, uh, um, mountaineers can succumb, uh, to elevation. Um, you, you didn't feel any of those, those things, right? I mean, you, you felt, you felt amazingly pretty great during the trip, right? Yeah. In fact, I was surprised at really how, how well our whole group did. But for me personally, um, I had one little tiny GI issue next morning, <laughs> popped Pepto-Bismol, which of course it's like, I don't know. I think people pop those on a regular basis down at, you know, here at sea level. <laughs> so it seems odd to do, but, um, literally by, I mean, that was like at breakfast and I was fine. Um, so, you know, I think it's natural to have, you know, a little issue here or there, but other than that, I did, I was very fortunate. I felt great the whole time. In fact, um, well, summit night is a whole nother issue. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I don't think anybody necessarily feels yeah. great. Let's, yeah. Let's, let's, night. let's, let's get to that. Let's get to that next. So, um, so you're, you're, you're prepping, um, all afternoon time is probably going by pretty fast. Um, right. In nervous anticipation, excitement, yeah, you're at base camp, you're like, this is your base camp, which is like, you know, base camp is such a kind of a, it's a very exciting, cool concept. Um, you can see, you know, like you start to get that you're seeing all around you <laughs> this Mars like landscape, um, uh, there, there were surprisingly, in fact, um, very few companies there. So they were still seeing the impact actually along the whole route, but base camp, very evident, right? It should be, it's typically packed with tents, um, like find your space kind of situation. Um, and you could definitely still see the impact on how slowly um, client groups were returning uh, because there were not a lot of groups on at base camp when we were there mm. it's interesting I guess, that's, I guess that's a benefit of, of 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 when you happen to go um so 11 p.m yeah 10 p.m uh they 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 get everyone yep. roused and yep. uh, for snack an 11, time. gotta have some yep. snacks yep for an 11 p.m um uh start to the summit um so uh, again i i, I think I think based on based on my observation of your of your data, um, that was a seven and a half hour mm -hmm. push to the summit. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was a ten that hour, included, a ten hour total the, day. Mm -hmm. Well, that included um, base camp, like 
out and back, right? So base camp to summit, back to base camp was the, yep. Was was the was the seven, yeah. was the seven and a half hours, yeah. the, the 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 total yeah the okay the total time, mm -hmm. um, that um, no, actually that's not true. I I didn't I was, think it. I didn't think I was, I was like no because no six that we got there at sunrise and then we still had a few hours to come back down to base camp. We yeah, I I'm like nine a.m. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a ten hour day yeah, total. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was seven and a half hours to the summit because Correct. I because you yeah. I mean you. You, you're gonna you're gonna, you're gonna you're gonna tell the story of of uh of how briskly the 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 party uh was moving toward toward the summit um but that was um uh that was uh three 3.7 miles uh to the summit and then back down to barafu hut um but that was a, a 10 hour day uh again including seven and a half hours to the summit um <laughs> why did it why did it take you so long to get to the summit why did things slow down I like to block that from my memory <laughs> in fact i blocked that from my memory from 2008 right because i went back and did it all over again <laughs> mm. it's like when we <laughs> the unpleasant times that we did. um well so from day one when you set foot on the trail um, the saying that the, uh, this, the saying is pole pole, which means very slowly. And the whole time, um, I mean, my heart rate personally, um, is very low, right? I mean, the pace that we're doing the whole time up until this point is, you know, it's, it's low, it's, it's acclimatization, low exertion, right? They are like successfully getting this group to the summit. <clears throat> well, one of my girlfriends um, that was on the trip, who I met actually on the trip, and she happens to live in town now, or not town now, but she lives in, in one of the towns here. So, um, <laughs> you know, you're you're all plugging away in your own head, um, making this extremely slow trek in the night, in the dark, can't see a thing wondering what happened to that amazing summit that you've been seeing for the last six and a half days literally wondering if daylight is going to come and also wondering if you're going to make it to the summit it is um for me and i can speak for others because we've talked about it um an extremely uh, mentally challenging seven hours. To go that slow. <sighs> to go that slow. And yeah. and you're cold. Um, it's so 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 my friend we 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 said <laughs> um, it was a little too pole pole is what we concluded on. <laughs> um, 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 I, I, I understand to a certain point, but um, I had a, I'm pretty sure I did in 2008 also. I, I will fully admit to my mini mental breakdown 
Um, and, and I will say that I, so, so in 2008, we reached the summit, they timed it such, which don't ask me how they do it because <laughs> every group is different, right? But they time it such that you, um, in 2008, that we crested the, the crater. So we didn't, not the summit. We got to the top of the crater literally as the first rays of daylight were coming upon the mountain and your body and you're so cold. And when I turned around in 2008 and saw that sun, oh my God, I <laughs> could not have been happier because I was so cold. That was a whole, that's a whole nother story. I underdressed. <laughs> um, lessons learned second time around. So here I am. It is hours, literally ticking away, ticking away. And I'm like, you know, you know what time sunrise is, right? And I'm thinking, wow, we are, like I literally was like, we are literally, I was going crazy. I was going crazy. <laughs> um, and unbeknownst to me in that moment was it was different from 2008 and that we were actually going all the way to the summit for sunrise, meaning we were closer I just need to get to the top of the crater because it was still a ways to go, but like having that destination accomplished was like, yeah. So, um, so it was kind of twofold for me. It was like, I literally thought we were never going to get there. And all of a sudden I see the sign, the sign <laughs> like that, you know, you're at the crater, you're at the summit of, of, you know, the crater summit. And I, and it's still pitch black. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I mean, I was, oh, that, that moment of, of relief of, cause like I said, it's pitch black. You don't know where you are on the mountain and you can't see ahead. Like you can't see like, oh, I can look up and there's the sign. And there you were. No, I didn't know. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. So, so then I was like, had this relief that like, Oh my gosh, we're further than I realized. But then I <laughs> still realized we were still going extremely pole pole to 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 continue the however much further it was to the summit. And and now we're exposed, you know, more exposed. And these the winds were all the whole during the night were just picking up, picking up. Um and finally, it's just starting the day, you know, just daybreak. You can start to see the landscape around you a little bit. You can also start to see where is the summit? <laughs> where is that sign? So I was like starting to go a little bit crazy again. Like, it's just, it's just up there. Can't we just run? Chris, can't, can't I just jog? <laughs> to, 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 to so poly, poly. I mean, at this point, yeah, no, no. Um, and then the winds are just like, they are extreme such that like, so we, nobody, we were guesstimating based on looking up on like, hey, this I think we said like 40 to 50 miles per hour because, you know, you, you would go to step and where you intended to put your foot was not maybe where it landed. Um, which, so that's pretty exposed and pretty intense. Um, and, you know, 
sands flying everywhere. Um, anyway, I'll, we, we, we made it <laughs> after, after all of that poly poly, um, you know, all of a sudden there it is, it's this, this, the, the rock pile and the summit. And then again, you get sunrise. I don't know how they do it again. I turn around. I'm like, Oh, and here we go. Like, it's just like, Oh, like you, you know, like maybe that's where we're going so slowly. They're like, sunrise is at 6.32. We can't, you know, like you cannot arrive before 6.32 because my gosh, that sun cracked the land, like the horizon, like just, yeah. Um, but so you, you're, unfortunately, good news is we made it to the summit. And unfortunately, because of the conditions, it was gorgeous otherwise, but it was so windy that it, it was kind of rushed. So here you want to like enjoy this moment, get your great photos, right? And that was, I mean, we, I think like we look at the series of our group photos and there's hoods flying and eyes shut and, you know, it's like this chaotic mess, <laughs> um, which of course makes it its own unique experience, but you just didn't get that time to like, no, there's no time to soak it in. Seven minutes. And when, when you're doing, maybe when you're doing like a threshold workout, seven minutes is forever. But when you're on the top of Kilimanjaro and you, seven minutes goes by in the blink of an eye. When you're yeah. chasing your glove, when yeah. you're you know, trying to get the group photo, you're trying to get individual photos. Oh, and by the way, heaven forbid you get a moment to look at the last of the glaciers that even are remaining up there. It's an interesting dichotomy, I think. The the pole pole, the seven and a half hours it takes to get to the summit, and then the seven minutes that you get to stand on the summit before you get before you're you're hurried off of the summit. It just it, it I think it's it's an it's an interesting an interesting contrast. Um and yeah, we what, were hurried off the summit. It was like, okay, guys, we gotta go. And and it just all happened so fast, and it's a darn good thing that this journey is not about those seven minutes. Mm, yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll talk about that in, in, in a moment, but um, I, I guess what I'm curious about is um, where, where, where your, were your emotions this time um, the same or different than your emotions on the summit back in 2008? They were different. I mean, well, I mean, I had some similar emotions, but um they were different. It was, like I said, it was just a more almost rushed, chaotic feeling. Um, certainly there was the excitement of the success of our entire group making it right. Everybody physically like didn't have like, no, like we all got there together. Um, but it was a little bit of sadness of like, didn't have the time to walk around and look at glaciers aren't going to be there much longer. I mean, there was already so much destruction from, you know, and melt from 14 years ago. Um, so, so like I said, I was, I was grateful that I had the experience to have spent more time up there so that when I was rushed off, I had that to, you know, to, to look back at. The, um, I mean, as, as any, as any climber alpinist will tell you that 
the, the summit is just uh, kind of the halfway point of the trip. You still have to get off the mountain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, th this particular route, though, um, uh, you you don't double back on this route. This this route, uh, I mean, you 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 do come back to uh, a Barafu hut, um, but then from Barafu hut, you make a beeline south um, and um, 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 you know eventually eventually make your way way out um, of the, of, of that, of that area due South. Um, and so, and it's, it's important to note that because, you know, again, the, when you're standing on the summit, you still have to get yourself off the mountain and, uh, <laughs> clearly you, you, you managed, you managed to do that. Um, you know, the, again, the, the, the nuts and bolts of the, of the expedition, I think are interesting. Um, and, and, and I'm sure people are, are interested to, to hear about that. You know, the, how far did you hike? How high did you climb? How long did it take? Um, but, um, but for you, this, this trip was a lot more than just the, the analytics. It was much more than just the data. It was much more than just standing on the, on the summit. So, um, I, I'm, 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 I'm eager to, for you to share some of your takeaways, uh, from the trip. You and I have, and you and I have had the opportunity to talk about them privately, but, um, yeah, what, tell the listener about, about what you, what you walked away from this trip with what, what thoughts or connections. connections. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, this, I feel and others have said, and in fact, Jama, who, you know, she's taken many groups on this, on other trips, but also this particular trip, have commented on the uniqueness of, of this particular group in that, um, how, how well we meshed, how well we were engaged, not only with each other, but the extent to which we engaged with our main guides, as well as the porters, like we want, we wanted to learn, we want, we didn't go there to just climb a mountain. Like it was, it was very evident that individuals on this trip felt that it was important to go beyond the summit, to understand the culture, to understand the people, and also to try to understand us, right? As individuals, what's important to you, um, and learning other people from our own country too, right? Like, where do you come from? What is your background? Um, and, it was, it was, um, I mean, I have friends today that I met uh, in 2008, right? My um, friends in Vermont. Um, so yes, you, you know, you meet people, but, but um, I think just the, the, the wholeness of this group and the, how genuine um, everybody was. And it wasn't just because we were on this cool trip. It's like, it's, it's extended since the trip it's you know it's those continued relations and communications um 
But yeah, I just, I was able to get more insight, certainly into the culture and the people. Um, but I think I really um, gained a deeper understanding of what is important to me as in particular, as far as connections and relationships and people. Um, and that was very special. You talked, I believe you talked a little bit too about, um, the, the, the native people, uh, that you met and, um, how different their culture is from, from Western culture in terms of how, in terms of how they, in terms of how they treat each other, uh, the civility and, and respect. And, um, I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth or, or mischaracterize the, the, the people, um, um, of, of, of that area. Um, yeah. How did the, how did the, how did the, how did the local people, how did the, how did their culture, uh, impact you? What, what takeaways, what takeaways did you come home with from, from the people? Well, like the last time I was there, um, the kindness and um, the not putting you first, right, community and putting, um, and well, I'm not saying that, that I'm not saying, I'm not saying this to mean that nobody in the U.S. doesn't put other people first and nobody that, right, but if you, I mean, we all know the state we're in, 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 in America right now. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to speak to that. So when I, <clears throat> when you travel abroad and you have the opportunity to see these other cultures and these other communities, you can still get a general sense of the differences of your homeland. And um, it, I felt that in, in observing not only the people that we were with, but just you're driving around, right? You're driving around, you're seeing, you're observing. And I felt that there was a difference of perception, like self-perception and um, putting others first, I guess. Yeah. I think, I, I think I recall you using the, the, the word humanity. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, um, you know, I, I mean, I mean, I, I do think that um, we, we can, we, our, our sense of humanity can tend to get dulled <laughs> by, by living in, by only experiencing the culture that we experience. I think, I think sometimes, sometimes when you step outside of your culture and you experience something completely different, um, <laughs> you, it, it's a recalibration in a sense, you, you sure. actually, you actually really see what's going on here, <laughs> uh, the way, you know, the, the way it really is and not, and, you know, and not some, um, not some dulled version of it that, that we, we, we tend to get numb to over time, I guess. Um, and, and again, I, I, well, there's, there's a reason they say that it's culture shock, right? And there's reverse culture shock, which is, I, I think 
I'm not sure that everybody appreciates the fact that there's such a thing as reverse culture shock and it was extremely difficult to want to come back after you've been in such a um generally speaking much more simplified life um you know people actually had to go out every day to get their fresh food and um yes there's you know yes there's fast food in the big cities i mean that's but um yeah just coming back to this fast paced it's all about me culture is very challenging and and how and then and then reflecting on like okay don't have a choice is well you know i live here but maybe what can i do to minimize my anxieties or my reactions to those you know those situations and so what what can you do as an individual to take what take what you've learned or what you've experienced on this in this opportunity or on this journey and apply it the best that you can going forward in your life and in fact speaking of which when we were all talking about following the you know not not just the the trek but then you know we were fortunate to go on safari and see these amazing animals and whatnot um and so you know people say people were people on the trip like you say oh this is life changing or like people may say to you oh was that life changing and i i like how we kind of revised it a little bit to say life enhancing um you know, that experience enhanced our lives because it gave us the opportunity to change, make change as we would like to in our own personal lives to maybe be better. I think that's, I think that's put really, really well. Um, having, having had this, um, life enhancing experience. Um, my last question as it relates to this expedition is, um, what's next for big mountain adventures for you? Are you asking that? Because you might know, <laughs> you got a little teaser on that. <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just asking the, I'm just asking the question. Let's start at home with, I need to finish the 46 high peaks. Okay. Well, all right. That's, well, that's, that's, that's fair. <laughs> that, that's fair. Okay. So what, what, what is the, what is the, what is this, the 46 high peaks in New England? 46 Adirondack, high peaks? Adirondack. Adirondack. 46. 46ers. Yeah. 46er. You know, I've been working on that since high school. Clearly, I'm not in a hurry. Okay. How um, many How many do you have left? I think it's about 10. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. well, the thing about the Adirondacks is, um, you know, they're, 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 they're not the tallest mountains in the Northeast, but they are some of the most rugged mountains <laughs> in the Northeast. They are. Uh, yes. The, yeah. The Adirondacks are no easy get 
Um, now I'm, I'm sure it's all relatively speaking, but um, what uh, what the what the Adirondacks lack in elevation, they more than make up for it in oh, ruggedness. No doubt, right for sure. <laughs> um, well, that the, the the conversation about your uh, Kilimanjaro <laughs> trip uh, is it, it's a it's a it's a fascinating it's a fascinating conversation. There's so many really interesting elements to it, the the technical elements to it, the cultural elements to it. And uh, I appreciate you sharing that uh, uh, with, with the listener. All right. Um, last part of the show is a fun part of the show. I like to call three random questions. Okay. So I have selected uh, from my batch of random questions. I have selected three random questions for you. Uh, if you'll do this though, for the listener, uh, will you confirm that you have not been given these three questions in advance. Will you confirm that? Oh, I have no idea what you're about to ask me. Okay. That's what you're asking me to Fantastic. confirm. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> these are three random questions. Um, all right. You ready? All right. Three. I, did, did I train for this? You, I mean. Uh, <laughs> Emily, you've been training your entire life for this. Are you kidding me? Yes, you have. You've been, you've been training since 2017. You know, I ask random questions uh, all, the, all, all the time. Okay, good. All, all right. right. Random, question, yeah, random question number one for Emily Flagg. <laughs> What's the most irrational superstition or fear you have? <laughs> I have or, or have had. <laughs> okay, you can pass tense it. I'm, I'm okay with that. Most irrational fear or superstition. That's a that is a extremely interesting random question. Do you have any superstitions? Me and doesn't? I no, guess I actually. Don't. I'm. I think I'm too boring for these random questions. You don't have any. You, you're not superstitious at all. I'm really not. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> you, you must be fearful of something. Doesn't you don't you don't fear anything? Yeah, you, you must fear something. Um, I, I, well, I don't necessarily have a fear of, I don't know if this is one of the same, but I don't have a fear of heights, but I have a fear of like when I'm not in control and I don't mean that to be taken the wrong way. So I don't People listening out there are like, okay. oh, of course not. <laughs> um, no, so if I am, yeah, like on the kissing wall, on the Barranco wall, <laughs> for example, um, I feel like uh, I know that would be a big challenge for people with a fear of heights. But I, if I'm controlling where I'm going and yeah, so I have a fear what? of not having control of, of challenging situations like this. well like air travel would be a pretty good example oh, of that um right because it's yeah you're definitely yeah. not in control when you're not flying the plane yeah yeah do you I, have any do you I, have I, any anxiety around air travel well you know what <laughs> i hate to bring up a really bad situation but uh tragic event but i did I had a I had a fear of flying because I thought a plane would crash into something, and uh, my fear went away when nine eleven happened, for whatever because well, it was brought to life, right? I mean, it's when, yeah. 
Yeah, that's that, right. that, that, that should. I mean, that was a fear that honestly shouldn't have happened. So, yeah. So that's that. That's an irrational fear that all of a sudden, like, an instantaneously became a very rational fear. Correct. Right. Um, all right. Well, then I think I then I, I think I think that 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 would Here's qualify. It. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, random question number two. Uh, what's the oddest way you've ever hurt yourself? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. I really think you need to keep these questions in advance. Um, <laughs> then they wouldn't be random, Emily. See, I know it's, but then it's I half the fun. I might actually have an answer for you. It's half the fun to see you stammer and, and, <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm assessing how nimble you are on your feet. Come on. What's the oddest, what's, what's the strangest way you've ever hurt yourself? Do you know? <laughs> yeah, well, that uh, also wouldn't be random if I and it wouldn't be very fun if I answered your questions um you must have tripped over a rug or had Luna's tripped. leash go well, around your ankle or didn't hit a turtle trip. riding your bike on the canal path no I, I stopped we'll break for turtles <laughs> And I'm waiting to run into a rabbit. There's so many darn rabbits on the trail. Okay. So, all right. So I, I guess the message here is that um, all of the ways you hurt yourself are not odd at all. Like they're very normal. <laughs> no. I mean, I guess it's kind of, you know, I'm not like one of my girlfriends, she's termed like flippy floppy because she tripped so much on the, you know, running on the trails. I don't. Now and don't jinx me. Now tomorrow, I don't want any. I, I don't want your answer to come tomorrow. So I just knock. I just knocked on wood for you. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. All right. Well, that's so you're you're zero for two with answering my questions. This this segment is. I, I may have to edit this segment out. This is not going like I thought it would go. All right. You've got you've got one last I chance. Told you that. All right. You got one chance. One chance left. You ready? This one. You this one. You'll answer. I I'm positive positive you'll have an answer for this one all right random question number three for emily flag you're having a barbecue and you can invite one vip guest now this guest can either be someone you know or maybe i've never met someone from the past or someone from the present someone real or fictional who would it be who would it be who's your vip guest at your at your summer bbq Huh. that's that's um well you know when you went through uh, my grandpa because as soon as you said it could be anybody <laughs> here or not here fictional not, I, he came to my mind so i'm yes um I want to be on that uh, that guest list. By the way, I, I yeah, I, I need to get out to Western New York again. One, one, of, one of one of these. Days. Oh, did you thought you thought the answer was going to be you? You were going to be invited to the no, 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 no. I didn't have to be. No, no, I wasn't expecting it to be. Wasn't expecting it to be, be me. Um, yeah, it's I'm been five years, Chris. It's been five yeah. years. Yeah, I'm it's gonna. Not, you know, we're not East Coast, West Coast here. 
I know you, you've actually, you've actually had, you've actually had the opportunity to come, to come this way, uh, more than I've, I've, I've been, I've been well, once there. would be more than, I know, I know. Well, and, and, um, oh, hey, and course, you were I invited, to... but you know, I can't, you have to go. I know, I know, I know. Javelin throwing. So yes, yes, I know. <laughs> I'm not, I know. I'm, I, know. I should have been I know, I'm very happy for you. I'm not upset about that at all. Yeah, I should be for the listener. I Emily had had asked me to to pace her at Twisted Branch uh, this summer, and um, I had tentatively agreed early on until I realized that um, the uh, New Hampshire uh, Senior Games, uh, the track meet that I, I'm throwing the javelin in, is the uh, is the same weekend. So unfortunately, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to miss Twisted Branch. I went to I went to school in Western New York. <laughs> I only went, I only went to the university of Rochester for one year, but it would be sort of a homecoming for me. So, um, and I, you know, uh, quite frankly, I'm not sure that I've actually been back to Western New York since I left the university of Rochester in 1988, 1989. I so think it's, it's changed a little bit. It's been a moment. It's been a moment or two. Um, <laughs> Well, Emily, I, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate you joining me on the show. And uh, and thank you very yeah, much. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thanks. Can you imagine that? Seven minutes on the summit after a seven and a half hour final approach. And for her and her group, it really wasn't about reaching the top. It was about the connections. It was about figuratively going beyond 19,341 feet and achieving a deeper understanding of the local culture, the local people, and themselves. Well, if you liked what you heard, please consider giving the show a follow. And if you really liked what you heard, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn, so make sure to check that out. And lastly, remember... The secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.